Hello, everybody. This is Oscar Dahl. I'm here with Matthew Knutson, and this is We Like Movies. Matthew, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. Uh, I feel like it's been a while. We, t- we had a little uh, sabbatical, a little post-Oscar nomination sabbatical, didn't we? Yeah, it was. Uh, we we needed to relish in the sort of drudgery of January and February releases, mm-hmm. um, in this long wait for this delayed Oscars because of the uh, the Olympics. That is why it's sort of delayed, right? I think that's what that's the conclusion we've come to. Yeah, have you been watching any yeah. of the Olympics, or are you are you anti Pyeongchang? <laughs> you're well, you're anti I mean, Chloe Kim. <laughs> I cannot watch the Olympics and be pro Pyeongchang. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, no, this is what happens every four years with the Winter Olympics. I get I get excited about it and be like, you know, this is gonna be a great couple of weeks. I'll come home every day, watch you know a few hours of Olympics. It'll be super relaxing and fun. Watch some new sports, and then I find all the sports to be incredibly boring, and I don't care about them. Like I'm an actual sports fan, so I watch the good sports. And you know, there's a reason why these sports aren't uh, insanely popular. I, I, yeah, I guess you have hockey and and some. Weird Weird Europeans like to watch like uh, curling up downhill downhill racing. I, I try to get into curling, but curling, man, it, it moves it moves slow, and the Americans are, are pretty bad at it. I feel like <laughs> um, whenever I, so I uh, whenever I need I to know. explain to uh, anybody what sort of like a bougie um, private uh, high school you and I went to, I always invoke the fact that uh, there was a couple times where we actually went curling during gym class. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? Uh, yes, yes. Like freshman year. Yeah, right? that sounds right. Yeah, I mean, there are way more <laughs> poignant examples of how bougie our high school was besides <laughs> the curly class, but we can leave that <laughs> leave that there for another day. Um, yeah, I've been uh, I've, I've been trying to watch of it as watch as much of it as I can, but I think I'm sort of in the same boat. Like you're always like, yeah, this is gonna be great every single night. Gonna have a nice, you know, curling to come home to or a little uh, slope style, uh, some figure skating or something like that. And then I just end up watching like a few minutes of the opening ceremonies and a few minutes yeah. of the closing ceremonies, <laughs> and then catch up on how many medals Norway won. Oh, I did. I did watch uh, Icarus today, though. Have you caught up with Icarus yet? The document, the Netflix documentary. Speaking of the Olympics, I, I have not seen Icarus yet. Uh, our good friend Scott Henderson is a huge fan of it. He oh, keeps really? telling us to watch it. Uh, yeah, and so I, I, I have not uh, given in yet. I don't know. I don't know why I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, attracted to that movie very much. Maybe I just hate the Russians, but I'm all in for good sports documentary. So I. I plan on checking it out sooner rather than later. But yeah. you, you liked it? Uh, I Yeah, I liked it. I, I, res- I appreciated it. Let's put it that way. It's definitely one of those movies that I would not have bothered with if it hadn't been for the fact that I got to hit all the Oscar nominees. Um, mm-hmm. but, I, but I do like the fact that sometimes the Oscars require me to do homework like that because I am introduced to things I probably wouldn't have sought out. Um, yeah. I also went down to the IFC Center yesterday and watched all 15 of the uh, nominated shorts. <laughs> Oh man, Speaking that's a homework. fun little Saturday, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, lots of genocide and school shooting and racism and uh, you know mm-hmm. prison overpopulation. It was yeah, it was a real uh, real documentary laugh short subjects are <laughs> never fun, <laughs> no, never happy. No, oh my god, never like one of them is called um, knife skills. And it, oh. opened, it opens in the kitchen. Yeah, but it opens in the kitchen of this restaurant. I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. It's a food documentary. It's going to be all about foodies and stuff. This is going to be fun. It's going to be a little bit lighter. And then you come to find out it's actually about a restaurant that specifically reaches out to recently paroled um, inmates. And they mm-hmm. they employ only people who have just got out of prison, which is very admirable. But it definitely brings the tone down a couple notches from what I thought was yeah. going to be like some sort of kitchen bobble. 
It's actually <laughs> more about prison overpopulation and stuff. Heavy stuff. Um, all right, Matt, we're, we're here to talk about Black Panther. Um, but before we get there, we're just going to catch up on some things uh, since we last talked. We made a bet on our Oscar nomination podcast, on our, our prediction podcast, and uh, we tied. Tied. Perfect. 37 to 37, right? Unbelievable. Crazy. And I presume, I mean, I feel like that's also not the first time this has happened. Haven't we done that? Haven't we had a stalemate before? Yeah, I think you usually win by one or two because I just, I, I make these very optimistic uh, <laughs> predictions based on what I want to see, not what inevitably will happen. That's why I always lose our fantasy film league because I just, I have a hard time <laughs> playing Moneyball. But, you know, we, we're pretty right on. Uh, the ones, what were the ones we sort of... We, we both missed on. I don't think either of us really were confident enough about Phantom Thread. I mean, that was what I was really elated by, the, you know, the, the nomination morning. I was really excited to see Paul Thomas Anderson in there. I was excited to see Phantom Thread in there. I was excited to see Leslie Manville in there. But I wasn't mm-hmm. particularly confident about it the night before. We both predicted Logan, and that ended up happening, which I, made me very, very happy. But, I mean, for the most part, I think we were pretty relatively spot on. Yeah, I think we missed three total, right? That sounds right. And, and, and I mean, yeah. besides maybe Leslie Manville, I don't think there was any big upsets or, you know, unexpected things that, that swooped in there. Mm-hmm. So I, it, seemed, it seems like most people were pretty satisfied with the way things went this year. And mm-hmm. um, the BAFTAs actually just happened earlier this afternoon. Three billboards won the big prize. It actually won two big prizes. It won film and it won British film big night for three billboards uh, proving that it still can't be counted out as a potential front runner even as the shape of water continues to sort of like rise in esteem and yeah. pedigree I, I mean i feel like it's still still too kind of a two-horse race right yeah and, and this is uh obviously anecdotal but ever since the nominations have come out and, and more and more you know regular Average film goers, people who don't see every movie like us, but you know, see a couple or interested. Yeah, plebeians. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> more and more of those people I've known who have seen Three Billboards, they all love it. And it seems to me that the noise around how problematic it is in certain areas is is sort of contained within a certain subset of people who who really pay attention to the to you know the long form pieces or the you know pop culture happy hours of the world <laughs> so I, I i do think that it's uh you know it's become apparent that it, it really is a crowd pleaser for whatever reason um and and i i i subscribe that to like how, how popular it is with with the voters i i guess I'm, it is sort of not baffling because i really do like the movie but how it's just so out ahead of you know a handful of these other films is is what's baffling to me i still have a really hard time imagining it winning especially without the you know with martin martin mcdonough getting shut out of the director race i just have such a hard time imagining it beating you know get out the shape of water uh and even dunkirk like i i think a good case can be made that dunkirk still needs to be part of this conversation simply because of the preferential ballot right Mm-hmm. Like the preference, I, the, there's a guy from uh, handicapper from Vanity Fair who was explaining this on a podcast I was listening to the other day, and he made a really good case that like perhaps Dunkirk could basically be the film that is high enough on enough ballots that it ends up kind of just like working its way higher and higher because basically the way they do it is whichever films are the lowest on the most ballots just end up getting disqualified, right? 
So yeah, so th- that's sort of why I think there are a couple other movies that have an outside shot here, um, and that would be Call Me by Your Name and Lady Bird. While people might not be trumpeting those as their number one favorites, like very loudly, I, I can't see those movies falling to the bottom of people's list. Whereas, you know, in sort of retaliation for a lot of a lot of the buzz and the, and the overhype and and people. Shape of Water and Three Billboards are are hated by a lot of people. True. You know. Yep. Uh, and that's gonna, those movies are way more divisive than than Call Me by Your Name and, and Lady Bird, seemingly. Way more so divisive what, than even something like La La Land last year, right? Like La La Land was divisive, yeah, yeah, yeah. but not nearly as divisive as Three. Like people who hate Three Billboards hate Three Billboards, and a lot of people don't necessarily hate Shape of Water so much as they just don't get it. Um, I might even count myself somewhat in that category. Yeah, so I, I mean, don't you think that, you know, we say it's a two-horse race, but, like, I, I could see any one of Shape of Water, Three Billboards, Call Me By Your Name, Lady Bird, or Dunkirk winning this thing. I think the thing that works against Call Me By Your Name is the fact that just not enough people have seen it. I mean, it really is kind of getting killed out there at the box office. I mean, we we live in a little bit of a bubble because we both really like it. We both saw it early, and we both spend a lot of time you know, reading, you know, spending a lot of time on blogs where people who have seen it glow about it. Um, but I think yeah. we need to keep in mind that, you know, there's 7,000 Academy members, I think. And even though these people are in the industry, I just think some of them just aren't even bothering to see this movie. It's just see, too small. Fucked. It's too that- esoteric. I agree. It's fucked up. I don't think people should vote in categories where they haven't seen all the films, but yeah, it, well, it I mean, happens. What percentage, what percentage would you guess um, of the 7,000 have seen all all the Best Picture nominees? I'm the wrong person to ask about this. I'm, I'm not an Academy member, and I would never, I wouldn't be able to live with myself if I if I voted on right? something. I would assume that, it's 90 plus percent because it's so easy like with the screeners nowadays. I don't know, man. I, I think you're being optimistic, I, especially mm-hmm. when it comes to more of these sort of low, I, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of these kind of like smaller, more technical category, although most of the technical categories are only voted on by members of specific guilds, right? Yeah. Like you cannot. I mean, it's not like like all Academy members can't vote on sound effects editing, right? I don't think so. I'd have to no. do a little more research into that. But everybody can vote on picture. And saying that ninety percent of the people who are voting for Best Picture, which is all of the Academy members, have actually seen all nine films. I feel is optimistic, and it saddens me to say that. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of these people who you know haven't bothered seeing "Call Me by Your Name" or "Darkest Hour" even, um, who are going to be voting on this kind of stuff. So I don't know. It's a really exciting year in that regard because you're right. I think there are a lot of different um, potentialities at work here. I mean, and you know, and Get Out obviously ha- carries a lot of social baggage with it right like there are a lot mm-hmm. of people who will vote for get out who love the film but there's also a lot of people who will vote for get out because of what it represents and i yes. don't necessarily endorse that kind of voting but i i guess i understand why that's um why that's part of this discuss why that needs to be part of this discussion yeah. we, we can get well, we can me- get into that once once we start talking about black panther as well because obviously that movie is carrying a lot of you know carrying the weight of an entire movement mm. on its shoulders. Let me also add this: since the last time we've we've spoken, I've seen Phantom Thread twice. Yep, and that would definitely be in in my top five over the course of the year. 
yeah over yeah last year. I, yeah i figured i figured once you saw it like if we were to redo our top tens today you obviously would have put it in there right yeah yeah so long wind river you're it's, gone um, <laughs> it's kind of a masterpiece i mean honestly if if i i know it's it's very cliche for you know middle of the road average heterosexual white guy to be uh championing <laughs> pt anderson and christopher nolan but uh i mean yeah. if it was up to me those are the two movies that i feel like should be the front runners in this race and uh they just aren't <laughs> so well shall we move on to black panther or do you have anything else you want to get at first i mean you know since since last time we talked uh, there was a super bowl uh yeah uh the, the the i was about to say the phillies won wow what a jerk uh the eagles won <laughs> rather um but it was also yeah, yeah that was that was nice although i i gotta say i was kicking myself for not putting a little bit of money on the eagles because almost every single year i usually put some money on the underdog because you can't win any money betting on the um, Patriots, you know. So usually I'll put some money on the underdog, and, and I've had some success in years past. But last year I got my ass kicked when I did that for um, uh, Atlanta, right? And mm-hmm. it was just so devastating. In, in a heartbreaking fashion. Exactly. Like for three quarters of that game, I was like, all right, I got some money coming. Um, and then uh, the the Patriots completely turned it around. So this year I just didn't have the, the stones to do it again. And then... Pff, and the Eagles end up winning the whole thing. Anyway, uh, there were some pretty great trailers that came out, right? Not the least of which You're talking was... about Jurassic Park, right? Ugh, don't, don't, don't get me started. Uh, no, I'm talking about uh, Mission Impossible Fallout. How, how exciting yeah. is that? It's very exciting. Yeah. <laughs> it's so dumb to be excited about the sixth movie in a Tom Cruise franchise, but you know what? We, we we both love that franchise, so I, I I'm super stoked about it. Plus, the, it, it's almost like an underdog franchise that sort of like turned itself around. It's like, not there's nothing underdog about Mission Impossible, <laughs> man. Come on, I don't know. I just it reminds me a lot of the whole Fast and the Furious thing, where it was like it was Fast and the Furious was in a really bad place. It was a joke, and then it managed to sort of like find itself kind of late in the game, right around four or five, um, and that's kind of what mission impossible did you know i'd say the third installment matt what if in an alternate universe too fast too furious was directed by john woo (laughs) i'd like to see that movie yeah who did who oh john singleton directed fast too fast too furious yeah yeah Yeah. but i mean that's the that's the i mean that's the nadir right the nadir of fast and the furious was too fast too furious and then the deer of mission impossible was john woo's mission impossible too so and they've managed to write the ship and uh i don't know i just find that whole franchise so admirable for some reason amicable maybe is a better word for it i just i just love what they're doing over there you know and i know that it's not it's not fashionable to like tom cruise but god damn i mean he's a he's a real movie star and he's fucking watchable he's nearing 60 years old and he's still Holding on to planes and shit. It's did, amazing. Did you hear what uh, what his big stunt is for this one? Like what his big, you know, because he's got to top himself every time, right? Did you hear what he's doing yeah. in this one? I forget specifically, but I knew he busted his ankle, right? Yeah. There's, a, sh- there's a shot in the trailer where he jumps across these two buildings and he, bu- he breaks his ankle, um, which mm-hmm. is pretty great. But no, the big thing that he did for this was he like learned to fly a helicopter. As in, he's flying a helicopter and there isn't another, I mean, he's not... There isn't like a helicopter double or whatever. Like he's the only person in the helicopter. He's flying it himself, and he's basically also operating the cameras that are attached to the helicopter. However, the biggest preview of of the Super Bowl uh, movie that has had many troubles, uh, Solo. Uh, mm, fuck, yes. it looked it looked good, didn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I got no problem with it. I mean, I yeah. I mean, everybody keeps saying that uh, that the Donald Glover. There's like a single Donald Glover shot. 
that kind of like steals yeah. the whole trip. People are already saying, oh, Donald Glover's going to steal this movie <laughs> based we'll, on a we'll single see. shot of Lando Calrissian, which I wouldn't necessarily disagree with. I, I personally would be much more interested in a Lando Calrissian spinoff film than a solo film. But yeah, I, I don't know. We'll get it if this is good. Oh, I wouldn't um, be surprised. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's a it's a hell of a cast. And, I, you know, you wonder what the how much Ron Howard filmed and how much can be saved in editing and how sort of uh, how tonally they'll be able to mix the two uh, batches of footage they got. But um, I don't know. Solo himself looked, he seemed okay. Alden Aaron, Ehrenreich. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. I just hope it's not a tremendous failure. That's, that's, that's the only thing on my mind. Yeah, I'm, I'm always I'm always rooting for these guys. It's about time these Star Wars kids finally catch a break, right? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, um, I, I think you're wrong, though. I, th- I think that the biggest trailer of the evening uh, was actually a film that uh, premiered uh, right after the Super Bowl, which would have been the Cloverfield Paradox, right? Oh, okay. Did you sure. Did you see the film? No, I did not see the film. I have not either, so uh, we could probably end the conversation right there. But I do think it's interesting to look at what a phenomenon this has become. And and I was wondering what your opinion was about this new world order we're living in, where you know movies get movies premiere, uh, you know, an hour after uh, the first trailer hits. I, I I think it's sort of damning to an entire franchise when your your calling card is surprise releases, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like when that's all you're really known for. <laughs> um, is being secretive in production like great? Uh, who who cares? Like I, I guess it's sort of cool. Um, Plus, ultimately, this is just straight up damage control, right? This is this is Paramount realizing that it has a turkey and trying to save face a little bit, right? Uh, is that is that the word on the street? I mean, I, I'm not privy to and, and Netflix. I don't know. Doesn't usually say how much they they purchase movies for. Oh, I'm just was, I'm just basing that on the critical response to the film. I mean, everybody seems to yeah. agree that it's pretty bad. So I, I think that this is a situation where it's like, oh, this is bad. We're going to get killed if we release this in movie theaters, even this time of year. Let's get out in front. Like, before we get any negative reviews, why don't we make this, turn this into a publicity stunt mm-hmm. and get some eyeballs on this thing, you know, get some numbers up. We, we know we're gonna, It's, it's going to cost us a million dollars for the 30-second spot, but then we're going to get some new Netflix subscribers tonight who want to see what all the fuss is about. Yeah, so, that's possible. I believe that. So who knows whether you know they te- quote-unquote made their money back, but um, I, I do think that this was an, a, a relatively ingenious way of salvaging what sounds like is a pretty terrible movie. I mean, it's too bad because it's got such a great cast. I feel bad for all for you know everyone who was involved in that regard but uh but i guess this was a pretty smart pretty savvy move from a marketing standpoint right its legacy will probably be that it's just a bad movie i mean eventually people will forget the way in which it was released and just remember what the movie is i you know i don't don't know it it is exactly what you said a publicity stunt and we'll all forget about it you know fairly soon and it's going to be retroactively even more embarrassing if the next cloverfield movie which apparently is already in the can uh, ends up in a movie theater, right? It'll be like yes. even more of a fuck you to the Clover Par- Cloverfield Paradox people, like the one redheaded stepchild who ended up on Netflix. We should have a uh, Cloverfield Paradox and Bright back-to-back screening. Oof. Let's see how that goes. I would do it. <laughs> I'd do it for the podcast. <laughs> okay, well, well, we'll think about it. Um, all right, Matt, let's talk about Black Panther, huh? Let's do it. Everybody else is. We might as well. Everyone else is. And... We all know that uh, everyone is clamoring for two 
35 year old white guys to talk about black panther (laughs) it's it's very important that our voices be heard here Mm -hmm. um well for what it's worth uh, we may not necessarily be the most qualified but we have been there since the beginning and we we we've reviewed every single mcu movie we've reacted to every single mcu movie with the exception of maybe the incredible hulk on this Mm -hmm. very podcast this is true which has you know hundreds of episodes over the last seven years so um, so we are qualified insofar as at least we're not Johnny-come-lately um, bandwagon jumpers here, uh, for whatever mm-hmm. that's worth. And I believe, and I think that there are a lot of people who are going to sound off about this movie this weekend who have no background with the MCU. And, and that's fine. I, just, I, I do think it's important to have like a little bit of context going into this thing. That being said, this might be one of the MCU films that maybe works best on its own, under its own steam, removed from the MCU, right? And that's maybe one of the best things about it. Yeah, I, I, I would say that. I mean, it's it's part of the reason is because it's literally about this hidden realm yeah. uh, with within the African continent, um, and and that's you know that's a big part of the narrative is that it's unknown to the outer universe, right? Moving back a second here, in our last couple, maybe two, three, four um, MCU movie reviews. We have sort of expressed a low-lying fatigue, I might say, with with the Marvel movies. Is, is that fair, Matt? Hundred percent. Yeah. Um, so, and and even with with stuff like uh, Thor Ragnarok, which a lot of people hailed as a sort of different kind of of Marvel movie, a, a change of pace. And you know, it, it was in some ways, but again, we were sort of fatigued by maybe the characters involved. This again is different because it is almost entirely standalone, even though we have some 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 characters that have been in other Marvel movies, including um Andy Serkis's character and of course Black Panther himself, uh who was introduced in uh Civil War. Civil War, yes. And uh, Martin Freeman's character as well, right? So Andy Serkis' character was introduced in Age of Ultron. Mm -hmm. And Black Panther and Martin Freeman's character were both introduced in Civil War, I think. Other than Um, that, you're exactly right. I don't think there's any other. There's no other crossovers here, right? Iron Man, you know, Robert Downey Jr. doesn't show up to crack a joke. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have the one post-credits scene. Yes. Uh, yeah. Okay. We're gonna let's let's spoil this whole movie because I think we need to talk about everything. We need to talk about who dies. We need to talk about what happens in the ending. Let's just go ahead and there's no reason to dance around spoilers in this one. So yeah, let's go. Spoil the shit out of it. Yeah. yeah. So so the uh, the Winter Soldier shows up at the very end of this, which actually makes sense because he is in the Wakanda. He's in the Black Panther stinger at the end of Civil War, right? Yeah, he's been. Yeah, f- that's our first glimpse of Wakanda. Exactly, exactly. So it would make sense that he would show up in this. Not to not to start at the end and work backwards, but these are two of the most like disposable and kind of useless Marvel stingers ever, right? Well, I mean, what I really think you could have done with. <laughs> I mean, there was really like I could feel a palpable shrug in the audience of being like, "Wow, we stuck around to the credits for that." Well, I, particularly the second a- one. Here's the thing. I, I think they are useful in a way. I mean, they're, they're narratively somewhat important, right? Like Wakanda is going to be opened up to the world. Okay, that's a thing. And we all knew Bucky was there, but now we see him emerge, and now we know why he didn't show up earlier in the movie, right? Okay. Now we know he's out of um, cryo freeze or whatever. 
you know, a lot of the stingers that have been like good, right? Um, we're revealing something that's going to happen, you know, in, in the next movie, or revealing or, or revealing a new character that might show up, right? Um, that we hadn't seen before that we know is important. But at this point, like everything is all the all the chess pieces are are, are set, right? We're, we're getting ready for Infinity War. We know every everyone who's out there. So I'm, I'm not sure what else there was that could have been revealed that had any tangential relationship to Black Panther, right? Yeah, that's fair. I mean, honestly, like, as, as soon as I made that comment, I started thinking to myself, has there ever been a, a, a stinger that was, like, <laughs> incredibly satisfying? Like, off the top of my head, I can't really think of any that just absolutely, like, blew my hair back or made the movie. They're always, well, like, the, a the, little bit elliptical. Well, there was a good ones, right? Like, didn't, uh, what... <laughs> Was it Iron Man two, Iron Man one, where they have find Thor's hammer in the desert? Like that's cool, right? I mean, I guess sometimes they are useful, and they're and they obviously mean a lot more to people who are familiar with the comics and stuff. Of course, so I'm not yeah. I'm not necessarily the target audience for these things, but I do find them. I, I mean, I stay for the credits for every movie anyway, just because I'm a I'm a nerd like that. But some I, I'm oftentimes shrugging at at some of these stingers and finding them to be pretty disposable. But mm-hmm. anyway, that let's bookend that by talking a little bit about the prologue because that has kind of become something of a Marvel thing, right? It wasn't at the beginning, but the last few films have kind of started utilizing this very specific type of of Marvel prologue. Um, mm-hmm. Most uh, most notably, I'd say in Civil War with the whole mm-hmm. John Slattery, Hope Davis, you know, Iron Man's parents prologue thingy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this does the exact same thing. Like, it, it it gives you very, very little in terms of context, but it ends up paying off in really interesting emotional ways. And it's especially, like, metatextually, to use a silly word, <laughs> metatextually interesting in terms of the fact that it, it's set in Oakland, which is, of course, Ryan Coogler's hometown and where his debut feature, Fruitvale Station, was set, right? Yeah, I I, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I, I did like the the lack of context, didn't know what was going on, didn't know how this was going to tie in. Um, but it really, it wasn't just like a prologue for prologue's sake or for, for style's sake or, or to or to anchor it in the real world when most of the movie is going to take place in in a sort of magical realm. Um, because every sort of nuance of that scene really paid off and came back uh, later in the film. It was a really important uh, you know, character thing to, 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 to set up. Yeah, I, I, I loved it. And, you know, Coogler's cinematography, his, his, uh, his directing ability really you know, came to the forefront right away because just the, the look of it all. Um, and obviously he knows Oakland very well. So it's uh, very cool stuff. Although probably shot in Atlanta, considering that's where... Is that true? I assumed he would have gone back to Oakland to shoot that. I guess I could be wrong. I mean, I, I that that sounds really nice, and and I wish that that was the case. But I kind of feel like since ninety percent of this movie was shot in Atlanta, where the uh, Marvel Studios is, um, well, I, I guess it's right. Pinewood technically, but like that's where they shoot all the Marvel movies. It's probably outside of Pinewood at, in Atlanta. But anyway, it, it just was, do it in Atlanta, right? Like that. This is always my fucking point with these movies. Just well, make it Atlanta. There's no reason for it to be Oakland besides Ryan Coogler being from there. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's cool that it's set there, that he's from there, that everybody, you know, people who are savvy will can connect it to Fruitvale Station and stuff. There's also something, I mean, I, I feel like not enough critics have sort of noted the fact that they're watching the Rodney King beating 
on TV, right? During the scene. I mean, it's a little bit on uh, the nose, but I didn't, I didn't even notice that. You didn't even it. notice it. Okay, cool. No. Well, good. Then maybe it's not, it's not quite as, um, as on the nose as I thought it like when they're up in that apartment up above the basketball court and they're having that conversation during the prologue that Rodney King beating is happening on the TV in the background. Yeah. And, and you know, a lot of people have noted that this movie feels, uh, you know, Shakespearean at times. Right. Okay. And this opening scene, uh, really sort of, nails that right it's just a lot of sort of family machinations and uh sets the course for for how this this legacy of this family will will continue decades into the future yeah i really Um, think that if you if you were to draw the closest parallels between obviously this movie kind of like stands on its own and is a bit of a departure but if you were going to draw a parallel between this and the closest mcu film it's got to be the first thor right uh yeah probably or at least the you know the first half of the first Thor. Uh, I think that that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I, I watching this movie, I, I never really connected it to any other Marvel movie that much. It, it did feel like it was its own its own entity um, from start to finish, and which which is a, is a good thing, um, which is something we've been we've been asking for. Yeah. Um, but I, just you, you know, mentioned you mentioned the the like the kind of like Shakespearean overtones, yeah. and I think that that's we we talked about it you know many many years ago about that's what you know that's part of the reason that Kenneth Branagh was brought on in the first place yes. was because there was going to be like all this familial struggle and all these Shakespearean things and you know struggle for the throne and and a lot of that is is happening in this film in a much more interesting and textured way I would say uh, it's just just. Just speaking about that prologue, uh, do you watch uh, This Is Us, or did you watch the uh, O.J. Simpson, the <laughs> FX show, uh, uh, People versus O.J. Simpson? No. Neither. Are you a Sterling K. Brown fan? Let's put it that way. You know, I'm not terribly familiar with his work, but from what from what I hear, I should be a Sterling K. Brown fan. Yeah, he's pretty great. So, yeah, he's uh, great in the prologue, so. Yeah, I, he, he's he's wonderful, and that's that's kind of was my clue to how important that seemingly innocuous prologue was going to be in the long run like oh sterling k brown is a pretty big deal obviously we're going to re- we're going to return to this and uh and it's not that even that he has that big of a role but he does have a very specific kind of emotional necessity you know like he has a utility that he plays in the yeah. overall scheme of things and he absolutely nails it i, I just think he's great I'm, I'm excited to see i don't watch this is us personally but uh I'm excited. Yeah, I'm about, excited that guy's a big deal <laughs> these days. I was about to ask if you watched This Is Us. I've, you know, my girlfriend's watched a couple episodes. It's uh, call it sadness porn. <laughs> That's yeah. what the show seems to be like. It's, it's like the successor to Parenthood or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. but uh, but I appreciate the fact that he's becoming a, a really big star because I think he's he's phenomenal. I mean, really, this movie's greatest asset is its unbelievably deep bench. Right, like this cast mm-hmm. is the cast is bonkers. Yeah, every single person, every single character is is, is well drawn, and the actors are uh, are are dynamic all the way through. Um, yeah, and and you know that's what makes this movie uh, interesting in sort of a more general sense too, which is this movie is least reliant on its on its hero, on its main superhero, than like any of the other MCU movies in in my mind. And and part of that is is the nature of of Chala, the you know Black Panther. See, he's just a little more humble, a little more reliant on on his people. I don't know he's charismatic in his own way, but but not like a force of force of personality like a lot of the other MCU people. I've heard that criticism that the that the 
titular hero is actually the least interesting character in his own film. Do you would you agree with that, or do you think that he is more of a of an intentional cipher? I, I appreciate the stoicism, and I think part of the theme of this movie is this guy learning how to rule, sure, and learn and, and learning how to rule in this in this new era for his kingdom, and that also gives the character room to grow in a way that maybe some of the other Marvel heroes are already, you know, enter fully formed or sort of um, intractable, right? And so I, I don't find that to be a criticism, and I, it also allows the, the other characters to, to really shine and, 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 and show, their, show their charisma uh, throughout the film. You know, mostly his, his family, um, you know, especially like, you know, his little sister, I think, is maybe the, the star of this movie. <laughs> she's so freaking good. She's um, really, yeah, she's really delightful. But I, but I'd also say that like one of this film's greatest strengths, but also maybe one of its bigger problems, would be the fact that for maybe the first time ever in the MCU, like the MC, part of the one of the bigger um, criticisms of, the, of this entire series of films has been the villain problem, right? Villain yeah. problem, villain problem. We can't do they can't do villains. They can't do villains, with the exception of maybe Loki, who because he actually worked, they just kept recycling him over and over and over because they yeah, were having yeah, such yeah. a villain problem, right? To the point where they kind of fucked him out. Mm-hmm. Now this movie not only has one of the best, if not the best, villain in the MCU thus far, he kind of takes over the movie, maybe to the detriment of our hero, because he is so goddamn charismatic. Like when you when you hear that Ryan Coogler is gonna make this film it's like oh okay chadwick boseman already was the black panther you know in civil war are we going to recast black panther with michael b <laughs> jordan because ryan coogler is obviously not going to make a movie without michael b jordan right yeah so it's like oh no 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 he's the villain but he's also the most interesting character in the whole film I mean, he kind of steals the movie right yeah and you know he he brings up some issues like he's got some yeah, good yeah. points i mean I've been, one of the one of the things that makes a great villain is relatability and the fact that like Maybe they're onto something, right? I mean, even even the Joker in The Dark Knight kind of has a point, right? I mean, like, there's something to be said for a certain level of anarchy, and there's something to be said in this case for what he's been through and what he's interested in doing to, uh, I don't know, to help his cause. It, it really says a lot that the degree to which Marvel villains have been a problem, that everyone was lauding... Uh, Michael Keaton in Spider-Man Homecoming because he was a, a nuanced villain, but what they really mean was there was one scene where you know his construction company got got screwed, right? Like that, <laughs> yeah. that was it. Speaking of prologues, <laughs> that was the, that, yeah, yeah, that that was the end-all, be-all of his his nuance in, in that movie, and I was like, oh my god, this is a, what a great villain! But you know, <laughs> this this guy actually has real nuance and, and real a real point of view and a real you know you know literal claim to the throne yeah um that's uh, that makes the movie extremely interesting and, and really harkens back to what we talked about with the the shakespearean aspect of it all i i will say just to defend michael keaton a little bit i i, I think he does also have i mean there is that crazy incredible thing that i didn't see coming where it turns out that he's also the father of Peter Parker's mm-hmm. love interest, right? And then he has that amazing scene in the car when he's driving them to prom, right? Yeah, but that, I mean, that's not a character thing. That's just a narrative happenstance. <laughs> that's thing. just Keaton being awesome. Yeah, and also Michael Keaton being Michael Keaton. Yeah, <laughs> but in this instance, we have we have this character, and the track was laid in that aforementioned prologue, mm-hmm. uh, which is really interesting and really nuanced. 
and really loaded. And we've also laid the track for the fact that in this kingdom, just being the son of the previous king is not necessarily enough. You have to like fight for your right for the throne and, mm-hmm. and, and can be challenged. When I saw that, when I was watching that original fight, and this doesn't make me, you know, some sort of like uh, narrative genius or anything, and I was like, oh yeah, he's he's definitely going over that waterfall at some point, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like there's no way someone's going over that. Waterfall. Someone's going over that waterfall at some point. We're, we're like, make, we're spending way too much time. We're making too big of a deal of it. Somebody's going over that waterfall. So when we get back to that eventually, and they have this conversation, it's like, oh yeah, this is perfect. Like Joseph Campbell would be drooling at at mm-hmm. this, right? <laughs> like what mm-hmm. a perfect hero building moment where he's going to have to go over this waterfall, and then he's going to have to fight his way back to the throne. Yeah. It's just really, it's just really smart storytelling. Yeah, these characters are great, and they allow this narrative, the story, to take place. Um, that's that's really clever and and like I said, nuanced. It even has these sort of overarching themes that pertain to our world today and our our country. Even if you want to go that far, like about globalism and 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 when should superpowers intervene or should they at all? And like, what, what who's you know, with great power comes great responsibility, right? Like, what to what degree should you? use wield your power when you have it um but it does it in a in a very natural not you know knock you over the head uh with with a quote-unquote message uh type of thing so it just all it all worked really well um there there was never really a a false note in the story for me it it all cohered very very nicely um in in ways that other marvel movies uh you know sometimes get a little little cloudy and messy um, yeah, I was really surprised. I was expecting it to be a lot more heavy-handed with yeah. some of the message delivery, right? Because this this film kind of like, for better or for worse, has to carry a lot of this weight. You know, he is the black superhero. It's a prim- primarily black cast. There's a you know black writer-director at the center of this thing. Like, based on kind of like the world we live in today, this movie had to kind of like make a statement uh, whether it mm-hmm. wanted to or not. So it does, and it does it in a pretty sophisticated way, and it does it without proselytizing, I would say. Yeah. Which yeah, is that, really admirable. And that's that's a that's a very I think that's a very hard needle to thread. Yeah. It's, it's and, and, and they did and it did while also not being like extremely dark or or yeah. un, you know, it's it's a, it's a very it's light not an unserious street. movie, but it's yeah, it's very very light and affable and in and, and comic at times, but without being farcical in any ways, like uh, like Thor Ragnarok was um, during times. <laughs> yeah. Again, the, we, we always talk about tone and how difficult tone is, how underrated tone is, and this movie nailed that uh, among a great many other things. So, uh, sounds like Matt that you thoroughly enjoyed this film. I did like it very much. Um, it it put me in a really good mood. I will say that in the way that I was kind of rolling my eyes by the end of Thor Ragnarok, this uh, this kind of energized me, and uh, yeah. I just found yeah I found myself in a good mood walking out of it. That being said, it's not a perfect film; it's not a masterpiece. I mean, I, I kind of feel like similarly to Wonder Woman, the praises will be su- the praises will be over compensatory for this film. If that's mm-hmm. even a word, people are going to overcompensate. Um, and that's fine. It's going to be a huge hit, and that's great that it's going to be a huge hit. And I'm excited for Ryan Coogler, who's all of 31 years old. Um, this this is you know this is a big deal for him, and it's pretty amazing that he's managed to achieve this this much at such a at such a young age. And everybody involved deserves 
this. So that that's great. I'm, I'm excited for all of them. I just sometimes bristle a little bit at automatically declaring something to be a masterpiece based on um, its kind of like social relevance, right? Or it's, it's, it's the issues of representation. And I feel like Wonder Woman kind of had, was a similar phenomenon where it was like, God, we need this so badly. We need this to be a hit so badly. What this represents is so important. So we're going to start calling this a masterpiece and we're going to say it's going to get nominated for best picture like i feel like we're we're dealing with that again here with black panther and it that that worries me a little bit i guess because this is far from a perfect film and i think there are plenty of nits worth picking that we should probably get into just on on that note i got a couple thoughts first off um i think there's a difference between uh black panther and wonder woman and that difference is black panther's a better movie um, not to say I didn't like Wonder Woman. I liked Wonder Woman just fine. I thought it was important that DC didn't fuck that movie up, and they didn't. So kudos <laughs> to them and Patty Jenkins. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think this is a this is a much better movie. And I'm not sure within the sort of Marvel umbrella you can really make a masterpiece, given how they make movies. I mean, don't you feel like the ceiling is uh, a little bit low? For, for these Marvel movies in, in a way. Yeah, and I, I also think that my biggest issues with it are kind of recurring Marvel issues. You know, yeah. like I think there there's problems with this film that are not unique to this film. <laughs> so yeah. maybe I shouldn't be holding it necessarily so much against Black Panther specifically, but I do think it falls it, it falls prey to these these issues that most of their films have, not yeah. the least of which is third act issues. Yeah, I mean, let me say one more thing on the like what a movie symbolizes and, and whether that can be sort of uh, baked into its quality or the or the way we regard it, right? I mean, we're doing like these AFI top one hundred list uh, podcast, uh, and and a lot of times these AFI movies are regarded so highly because of what they symbolize, right? Because they symbolize a certain era or a type of filmmaking or technical advancement or whatever, and that that sort of uh, I don't know, stake in the ground for for filmmaking or, or whatever it is elevates how we regard the film, regardless of its actual quality in a vacuum, right? Okay. So I, I I don't want to take away what a movie symbolizes from how we should regard it because I think I think I think you can sort of bake it in. You can't really look at every movie in a, in a in, in a vacuum. Um, that said, I'm not saying this is a perfect movie either, and I I wouldn't call it a masterpiece, but you know, we talk about degree of difficulty too much, but it was a very high degree of difficulty here, and I think they did about as good a job as you possibly could have done with this movie. Yeah, and also seemed to turn it around very quickly, you know, and the fact that Ryan Coogler has a writing credit on this as well is exciting. Mm-hmm. I mean, he clearly, like, was very involved in this, and his fingerprints are all over it, which I think is unique considering that even, like, the Russo brothers, for example— are not responsible for writing their films. Yeah. You know, so like this really feels much more like a James Gunn situation where mm-hmm. you have like an auteur at the center of this thing, a writer director. So, which is which is exciting and it's fun and it, and it does feel like it is far less beholden to the I mean, I I think you were right in what you said earlier in terms of like so many things have been put in place by this point and we are literally months away from um, Infinity War and all the chess pieces are there. That mm-hmm. this movie doesn't have to deal with the responsibility of setting like everything's been set up. We're ready to go. Let's just do a good origin story and not, you know, not expect Black Panther to set a thousand things up. And as a result, the movie doesn't have to be um, uh, bogged down with all that bullshit, right? 
Mm-hmm. Um, plus, plus, it's cool, you know, like coming right off the, um, you know, right off of her recent sort of like history making Oscar nomination for Mudbound to have mm-hmm. Rachel Morrison shooting this thing is mm-hmm. really exciting as well. You know, in terms of representation, she knocks it out of the park, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and Daniel Kaluuya, you know, in a pretty prominent role, who of course is in uh, in Get Out. There's just a lot of things coming together at a really at a really good time. Like a lot of things are coalescing right now for this particular film, which is which is exciting for everybody involved. And I just read 218 million, I think, yeah. which is not only ahead of expectations, but I think it makes it the fifth highest opening of all time. Now that like a film that's destined to be you know at least one of the top five highest grossing films of this year came out in February, that makes me happy. Makes me really happy. I mean, the the lineup even going forward, we have you know at least a movie a week uh, a week to look forward to for you know for for a while now. We got an Annihilation and Red Sparrow and other stuff coming up, which is which is pretty cool. Um, let me let me guess at your at your nitpicks for this film. Okay, please do. <laughs> or I, maybe just the main one, which is. You know the the third act climax devolves into sort of CGI spectacle. Yeah, yeah, it really does. I mean, I think the word I've been using all weekend long is gobbledygook. Yeah, <laughs> which which Wonder Woman did as well, and uh, most of the Marvel films have done as well. This film is not There's- quite as egregious as some of them have been, but yeah, I think the CGI, I think the effects in this movie are pretty dodgy, or at least inconsistent, right? Yeah, they're inconsistent. They're not great. And um, yeah, just by the time Daniel Kaluuya and his uh, his rhinoceros army <laughs> kind of <laughs> go into battle during the end, I mean these these are real nitpicky things. But um, yeah, I, I feel like that shoehorning Michael B. Jordan and Chadwick Boseman's fight into the uh, the monorail system mm-hmm. uh, felt a little bit ham fisted to me. And I just there got to, there got to a point where I just I was having a hard time with the geography of it all. Where yep. everybody was, why everybody was, who was doing what. Again, pretty nitpicky, but uh, yeah, I think that the third act is is kind of silly and kind of a mess, and uh, sort of flies in the face of a really nice thing we had going up until that point. So mm-hmm. I don't think, I mean, I don't think it ruins the movie or anything, but I do think it needs to be it needs to be discussed. I I, I don't disagree. You know, I think it's just really hard for these movies to not <laughs> go big in the third act. I, I wish they would. Said, go a little smaller, go a little more intimate, especially with the familial nature of uh, of this movie's narrative. But yeah, you know, it's uh, there are still some exciting moments. Yeah, I, I think that is definitely the weak point. I also feel like uh, the the tech in this film and Wakanda in general gets to the point where it's almost coming across as kind of cartoonishly magical, mm-hmm. uh, which I'm not saying is necessarily inconsistent with the uh, source material, but <laughs> but it does get to a point where it's just like, okay, well. Clearly, we have inventions and tech for everything. So, like, what's you know, what's the problem? Like, yeah. we have magic. We have magic technology, basically. So, uh, what you know, how can we have any problems if we can we can solve everything with our you know our magic nano you know Michael Jordan boots or whatever? Yeah, uh, yeah. To me, to I mean, me, I, that I, got to be a little silly. Like, I agree. His his little sister is delightful, and that relationship is delightful, and it's fun that she gets to play Q or whatever. But the I don't know the the inventions got to be a little much for me. I assume we'll have a a scene where Tony Stark shows up in Wakanda and, and has and that'll be fun, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean maybe some more explanation, some more uh, guard railing of what the technology can and can't do would have been nice. Uh, but maybe the answer is it can do everything. So who knows? Again, like this is something I'm not terribly familiar with the. Uh, 
with the Black Panther comic at all. I really only know what my brother has told me, and he says it's very important in the Marvel Universe, and there's a long, long history of really good stuff. And obviously having this sort of hidden realm that superheroes can maybe visit occasionally uh, makes it narratively important in a lot of the comic book uh, stories that have happened over the last however many decades. But again, I, 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 I I don't know if the tech is different or less magical in the comic but yeah that is, that is something that wasn't really made clear is it just me or does uh, wakanda also feel kind of small in this movie and and by that i don't necessarily mean that the uh, the country itself is small i mean that the the way that the film views it or deals with it like it doesn't deal with it directly enough to make it feel lived in is that fair like i feel like it's always kind of like skirting it a little bit and this might be I mean, part of this might just be the fact that, like, we're dealing mostly with royalty, so perhaps mm-hmm. royalty is more removed from the nitty-gritty of the actual, you know, of, like, the metropolitan areas. But it feels like we're looking at it from afar often, and we're not actually really interacting with it very much. So yeah, it felt it, very much like a matte painting, <laughs> kind of, like, way in the distance, to the point where I was feeling kind of alienated from it and yeah, not really been, involved in it. It would have been nice to know if there were other cities, if there were more towns than sort of the ones we visited, how big that main city was. Does it have, is it is that just Wakanda City or, or yeah, what are we dealing with here? Because looking at it on a map of Africa, it looked like it was fairly sizable, but mm-hmm. I have no idea how many people how many people live there or, or anything. Um, yeah, oh yeah, there's, there's two prologues, isn't there? There's a prologue before the prologue. Yeah, there's, there's like, like a Lord of the Rings style. Yeah. Yeah. There's, a Wakanda, there's a history of Wakanda prologue, and then there's the Oakland prologue. I could have done without the Oakland epilogue. I appreciate the fact that he's willing to like put some money into inner city Oakland, but I could have done without like little sister introducing all the little basketball kids to uh, this futuristic spaceship. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I thought that was all right. I was, wasn't silly. offended by it. The only thing we didn't really talk about is all the uh, South Korea stuff. Uh, oh, which is interesting, yeah. you know, considering our, you know, like the fact that the uh, Olympics are taking place there right now. But also a lot of people have pointed to the fact that the movie kind of turns into a James Bond movie for like 15 minutes. Yeah, I, is, I enjoyed that part of it. It was cool. Yeah. I mean, they literally walk into a casino that looks like it was it looks like it was pulled directly from Skyfall. Right. Like down mm-hmm. to the down to the lighting choices, down to the color choices. It looks like the Macau casino from Skyfall. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of fun, and then the, and then that's the one time Coogler gets to use his his quote unquote uncut action sequence, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he basically gets to do a <laughs> yeah a whole fight scene without actually, which is which is kind of fun. Yeah, and that's where Andy Circus really gets to shine. I, I like the fact that Andy Circus gets to chew the scenery, but he's also sort of a red herring in terms of the fact that the movie is going to pivot and focus more on Michael B. Jordan. Yeah, yeah, I like I like that a lot too. I mean, he seems nice like the big setup. bad for the first half, but. Uh... He, he definitely is not. Um, yeah, it's great to see Andy Serkis really get just a, a live action role that he can they can dominate. Um, he's the best. I love Andy. He's so Serkis he's so, so fucking good. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, Are you? But uh, so is everyone. So is Michael B. Jordan. Man, it's god, Michael, B., Michael B. Jordan steals the movie. That guy is such a movie star. It, just watching that, I was just like, God. Remember when he was the little kid begging for his life in The Wire? Mm-hmm. You know, like when he was literally like probably fourteen years old, just you know trying to you know begging not to be executed um he's he's so great i'm i'm so impressed with that guy Uh, what does ryan what does ryan coogler do from here man yeah i mean i feel like you always ask me that question at the end of one of these conversations and i always (laughs) struggle to come up with a really sophisticated answer for you i mean 
whatever he does, it's, you know, it's got to involve Michael B. Jordan in some capacity, right? Like those guys are clearly, you know, joined at the hip. Of course, the, you know, clearly this thing is going to be such an enormous juggernaut of a uh, success story that if they haven't already, they're going to green light the sequel. So yeah. you got to bring everybody back, um, except Michael B. Jordan, of course. Oh, look, he's a, his next movie is a drama about a math teacher in Atlanta starring Michael B. Jordan with a screenplay by uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates. All right, Matt, any final thoughts? No, it's it's good. I liked it. I'm I'm excited for everybody involved. Go see it. Do you Absolutely. would you would you put this you put this top five MCU movies, top three MCU movies? A lot of people are saying, oh, it's the best one with a bullet. I don't know if I necessarily would go that far, but I'd say top five at least, right? Yeah, it's definitely top five, definitely near the top. I'd have to go through the rankings again. I you know I I'm pretty partial to this like the, the huge uh, Avengers, Captain America, Civil War sort of sort of collabo movies but this is this is certainly way way up there and you know i'll give it some time see see another get another few viewings under my belt but yeah it, it has to be way up there easily easily so you're saying you're not disappointed that wesley snipes didn't get to make his uh black panther film in 1992 when he first proposed it pre-blade yeah that wouldn't have been as good <laughs> 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 Gotta be honest, that wouldn't have been as good. I think Wakanda, you need you need maybe a little more uh, CGI availability, a little more technology behind you. Frank Coogler was four years old or something. <laughs> it's probably good that this didn't end up happening. So yeah, true. Anyway, uh, I guess we'll uh, reconvene in May for uh, Infinity War. Huh? Yeah, well, I mean, we're gonna talk before then, Matt. Yeah, I'm just, next I'm, just, podcast. I'm just saying in terms of like MCU conversations, we'll, yeah. we'll continue this MCU conversation when the big old Infinity War happens in May. But I don't know, man, that's a lot to juggle. I, I don't envy the Russo brothers. Like, although I guess I said the same thing before Avengers, like how are they going to possibly bring this all together and do this in such a way that any of this doesn't just feel like an overblown clusterfuck? So I guess if anybody can do it, it's Marvel. Yeah, well, I mean, it's basically going to be one six hour movie, right? With the two parts. Uh, we're not. It it's not split into two parts anymore. I don't think, right? Isn't what? Infinity War its own thing now? I think originally it was supposed to be a two part idea, but I'm pretty sure now it's just one movie. Really? Yeah. That's I hope I'm not super super I hope interesting. I'm not I, blowing I, your mind. I guess you. I always thought it was it was always meant to be a, t- a two parter, but maybe maybe you're right. I think it was. I just clicked on Chadwick Boseman's name, and his next two films are Avengers: Infinity War and then Untitled Avengers, a movie that comes out in 2019. So okay, that movie's currently filming. It looks like interesting. Yeah. So so the Russo brothers are filming that Untitled Avengers movie. Um, maybe they just decided that they're not going to call it Infinity War Part Two. Do you think that every single person who's in Infinity War, that their publicists or whoever, just go through and put their name in the next Untitled <laughs> Avengers movie, so that we don't know who dies? Because yeah, probably because sure. because they can't they can't just populate the next film the IMDb page with whoever survives the movie, right? Because then we're going to know who yeah. survives. So the might as well just put everybody in there, and then after the mm-hmm. movie comes out, then they could just start subtracting people based on who dies. Although at this point, I also wouldn't be surprised if nobody dies because Marvel clearly has an issue. <laughs> it's clearly yeah. not really but willing even, to kill even, people Even off. if, say, Thor dies in Infinity War, there will be some sort of scene where Thor is there. Good point. Right? flashback or video footage or whatever <laughs> they yeah they signed their likeness away uh, i mean <laughs> if we bring if we bring peter cushing back uh, decades later to not just show up but have like a significant um role in the narrative then no one is safe you can't die in the context of the movie and you can't die in real life we're just going to keep bringing you back 
digitally. Yeah, that's the world that's we live in now. <laughs> All right. Well, so after I'll... after you and I pass away, they're just going to be able to use our voice to keep this podcast going uh, indefinitely, right? Yeah, we'll be able to set up some sort of algorithm where we can just recreate a new podcast based on our our thoughts on old movies. It'll be yeah. it'll be awesome. There'll be hundreds <laughs> of hours of our opinions by that point. So some, there'll be some sort of computer <laughs> program that can algorithmically figure out how we will respond to Avengers. 15 right yeah avengers 25 it'll know exactly how you know the things that we'll roll our eyes at and the things we'll get really excited about all right that's that's exciting well morbid <laughs> pretty um uh until next time this has been we like movies say goodbye matt goodbye